a simple classic cast to listeners for the another week in a row because you guys requested it so much. We are going to be doing a, another coaching call with yet another accredited investor. You guys seem to really like these and you guys also keep signing up to do more of them. If you guys want to sign up, then make yourself anonymous, make a fake name, change the story a little bit so that your coworker doesn't know it's you when they're also listening to the Civil Passive Cashflow Podcast. Feel free to do so. Got to do two things. Got to be part of our free club, com slash club. Join there so we know you're a real person. We can get to know you a little bit better. And everybody in that club, make sure you guys sign up for the onboarding call. Get a call with myself or somebody else on our team. And if you want to sign up for that free coaching call to be put on the podcast, send an email to team at simplepassivecashflow.com and we'll get you set up. But before we get going, again, wanted to get you that opportunity to check out the free audiobook of my book. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash book. And also, thanks for buying the book because we got Amazon bestseller. And if there's something else that you guys want me to cover on this podcast or talk about, maybe we can do a future, just ask anything or talk about any topics. Let me know. Send the email over team at simplepassivecashflow.com. And uh, we'll try and get a handle for you guys. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening to the show. And here we go. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today we are doing a coaching call with Eric, who has a net worth of a million and a half. He's an accredited investor and he has a bunch of rentals, but he's looking to sell them off, go into syndications or private placements. So we're going to be talking a lot about how we built up that original portfolio. He worked with a bunch of friends, a bunch of guys drinking beers, pulled their cash together. And that's how we got to accredited status. And then we're going to talk a lot about options, 1031s, that type of stuff. And a lot of good stuff here. So I think a lot of you guys starting out, you guys are definitely creeping over that million dollar stage. This is going to be very pertinent to a lot of you guys. All right, let's welcome Eric, who's also a full member. If you guys want to check out that group, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. Uh, a lot of high quality people in that group. And yeah, go there to learn more. But yeah, hey, Eric, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me, Link. Yeah, so why don't you give look, people a little context on how you got started, a little bit like how old you are, family structure, that how long ago did you get started to get to the point million and a half now? Yeah, sure. So I'm 33. I'm married. I have two kids under three. And we started out about five or six years ago getting into real estate. Following college, uh, I worked in oil and gas. My undergrad is related to oil and gas and kind of the business finance side. So I did that for a few years, traveling a lot and jumped into renewable energy about five or six years ago and have been doing that ever since as a project manager for utility wind and solar projects. But along the way, we got away from the traditional personal finance stuff, IRAs, step IRAs, Roths, things like that. I didn't have any travel expenses like you in part of your career or any living expenses. I'm sorry, because I was living in hotels for the first four years out of school. Uh, so I was able to stockpile a decent amount of cash. Just didn't know what to do with it, honestly. On the road a lot, started listening to podcasts like a lot of people. Mid, bigger mid-20s, right? Yeah, I'm 25. I buy my first little house in just outside of Boston that we're actually getting ready to sell. And... I'm listening to podcasts, alternate investing kind of stuff, real estate, to really start going down the rabbit hole of rental properties and think that's the way like many do when you get on bigger pockets. 
And that led to other podcasts over the, the next few years. But probably between, I don't know, 26 and 20 and now, we have about 35 units in Central Texas of rental properties, all small residential one to four units. Uh, some of those are probably A class that we've lived in around Austin. And some of those are your C class, A through B or A through D kind of fourplexes and duplexes that cash flow pretty well in an area near Fort Hood, Colleen, which if you're looking at it recently, it's been growing a lot over the past year or two. But that's where we, we thought we were going to go is rental properties and cash flow. That was going to be our out to quit working if we wanted to, or as my wife and I, uh, at that point in my late 20s, got engaged and then married. That was our, our pathway that we thought we were going to go down. I guess as I got older and a little smarter, I started talking with high net worth parents uh, of my friends that I, we were hanging out, maybe having a drink or whatever. And I realized that none of them own little dumpy houses in Killeen, Texas. They were investing in commercial funds and large multifamily deals, new development, subdivisions, things like that. So started picking their brain a little bit on it. Like you built up like a nice little portfolio. You think you're hot stuff and then you find other people that do it very differently. And after a while you start to follow the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Like you mentioned hot stuff, right? Like I'm in my peer group, I was the guy like buying rental properties thinking I was doing well or whatever, but then you stretch your network a little bit and you realize there's people your age that have already amassed uh, quite a bit of wealth. They get there in different ways. And I just got my eyes open to uh, the long-term game, not the running back and forth, checking on rehabs and dealing with tenant headaches and all that stuff. And it wasn't what I wanted. So over the past couple of years, we started looking for different ways. And luckily, a family friend got us in with with a group out of Fort Worth that does medical office spaces. And that's kind of how we got our start in uh, limited partner investing. And so in 2020, we started putting a little bit of money in, probably, I think, 150000 some of that was with the group that I started with, just buddies who were interested in the same thing. All early 30s, good paying jobs, things like that. We wanted to uh, find a way to get our money to work for us. And then in 2021, we got fortunate with some good appreciation around Austin, sold a, one of our old primary houses that we'd lived in for two out of the five, so no taxes to worry about. And started refinancing a lot of our rental properties, just pulling out a decent amount of cash. And I met Lane. I met you. I think we started talking about a deal in Houston at one point, and that's where I met the, the mastermind group and, and joined that. And since then, we've been diving all in. The unfortunate thing is like a lot of people who haven't met any wealthy people, you don't know what you're missing. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you are lucky enough to be in proximity to some wealthy people that you could see the other side. Is that correct? Or? Yeah, I, I grew up in a working class, kind of middle class go to work. They advise me to go to school and get a job, get a high paying job that way, whether it's a project manager, oil and gas. And it's part of the reason I pursued oil and gas is because it's typically high paying. But um, yeah, it, no one in my family was buying rental properties or looking to invest in apartment deals or whatever. A family friend that I, a buddy I grew up with, his dad had been doing it and that kind of opened my eyes to it. And then we got to go rub shoulders with some of his, his friends at you know weddings, this and that. And you really saw a different lifestyle from, you know, what, what my trajectory was with rentals and just a couple hundred dollars here, a unit, a couple hundred dollars here, a unit first, putting in a hundred thousand and then doubling that in three or five years and then just rolling the money over. So just to set the table for you guys on the podcast, we also put this up on the YouTube channel too. I think we have a playlist of all the past coaching calls because we have the personal financial sheet up here. So we're going to talk through some of these numbers and some of these other charts. And I think this is also available 
And if you guys sign up for the club, civilpassivecashflow.com slash club, all these get categorized in networks because we've done about at least a couple of dozen of these so far. So you can see where you are. But Eric's got a net worth of 1.5 million. So we'll fit that in where it needs to go in the pecking order. So you guys can fit yourselves in. But again, net worth million, $1.5 million. So that's what I call is like where he is at this point. But the other point, anybody who's like a physics major took physics, you guys know point in time and then velocity. Velocity, I, I call it is which... What do you net at the end of every month? So his assets or his monthly assets or income coming in here. I think your real estate stuff is about half or a little bit more than half than your day job stuff looks like. That's moving in the right direction. That's where you want to go. We have some people in the group where they make most of their money through the ordinary income route. And that's what you don't want to have happen. Right. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. It always hasn't been that way, but the last two or three years it has, but granted, we also self-manage these. So there's no management fee. So I do have to devote some time to that, but luckily to put systems in place and dealing with good and bad contractors throughout the years. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's starting to make it worthwhile. Damn it. It's working. All, all those friends that you had in your twenties, they didn't believe you, but it's working. Right. Uh, your expenses are in control. I think you, this is what we talk about a lot. Like in, in our kind of circle, a lot of us got to this point working class. A lot of it's very frugal, but I tell guys like Eric, hey, lighten up a little bit. Have some fun. Things are going to be okay. Very. So yeah. under control. We're pretty frugal. Our, our mortgage is $1,800 a month. In Texas, we have the luxury of pretty cheap housing. For my job, I get paid mileage and I drive around 50,000 miles a year. So essentially, I don't have a car payment. In my wife's car, she uses it in her business. So it's written off. So we we don't have a ton of expenses, but we do like to travel. So we do have a little bit of fun. But once the kiddos are a little older, we'll get back to that. Are you a non-accredited investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your skeptic spouse? And could you use the reinforcement of monthly checks paid like clockwork? The American Homeowner Preservation Fund, or AHP, is looking to bring new investors with them. I've been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid for my car payment completely for me. AHB collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes by restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors that just kick their homeowners out on the streets. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact our simple passive cash flow monthly crew was making approach me to become a spokesperson of the company. Invest as little as $100 by going to ahptitle.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, please claim it at simplepassivecashflow.com slash AHP. And if you haven't done yet, join our private investor club for more insider access. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. We're going to get you into the exotic car hacking subgroup. I'm sure my wife would love that. I know. Which... By the way, guys, as I'm, I'm going through this course now, but you, there's ways you can hack cars. It's based off the whole depreciation schedule. It hits the bottom and it pops up. So the idea is you buy it at the right point. You hold on it to it as it pops up. You can actually own the car for free or make money possibly. But anyway, fun stuff. But any, yeah. uh, net cash flow, you're putting away quite a bit of money. It's definitely six figures a year to put to investments. Like, like three or four syndication deals a year. Beautiful stuff. 
Talk to us. You started to invest with your buddies, right? Like shortly after you got started. How did that all come about? How did you guys work that? After a few years of me talking about real estate and buying properties, probably headaches that came with that, I convinced uh, three of my buddies that I went to school with and college with to uh, form an LLC, start buying some rental property in that Fort Hood area. And we bought a fourplex, a couple of duplexes, realized I was the one doing all the grunt work, even though I was taking a small little fee to do it. But how, how did you structure that to compensate yourself for your time? Yeah, we just set it up as a, a member LLC. And then I had a separate property management LLC and we did a lease agreement to my LLC for 6% of the revenue of the rents. Oh, you were doing the property management, right? Yeah. So we've always self-managed. We've never used third party. Yeah. I've seen some people, if you had property management, you paid a property management, but you, your role would be asset manager. So maybe take a point. That's fair. Yes. That, that's come up in the later conversations because even that same group, some of the deals in 2020, we all went in. So we 100,000 minimum each of us through in 25. And the idea was whether it's a, a fourplex, a duplex, whatever we buy or uh, a syndication, should there be some kind of fee? Because I spend a decent amount of time reaching out to people or a decent amount of time dealing with property management stuff to find those opportunities for us. So we brought that up. But honestly, with the syndication part, it's been, it hasn't been too hard. You find a few good people and uh, we're trying to dip our toes in with a few of them and see which ones we like. And in a few years, hopefully if some deals go full cycle, we'll have those three to five syndicators that we can just keep rolling over the money with, with that group. So what percent of your current like where you actually own real rental properties directly are through your buddies LLC or Ed personally alone? Yeah. So on the tab that you're on, those are all just my wife. Okay. Yeah. And there's another tab that shows the partnership kind of market value, loan balance, SENCF. What would you say just dollar wise equity would you have between just personally and with um, buddies? So this one is, it's market value 580,000. So I own a quarter of that. Okay. Yeah. So mostly personally on your own investment. Yeah, yeah. We we bought a few and I really like the model of having all of it if I'm going to have to deal with it. And yeah. we talked about it. And I think the better plan for that partnership was to just do syndications and, and try to go in a little bit more money and spread it out that way. Yeah. But that was cool. You got them involved, right? You got them the taste of blood and I think they're hooked, right? Two of the other guys, they're just kind of like, I'll send them stuff all the time and either they have the money or they don't. But one of the guys who, ironically, his dad was the one that kind of got us into syndications and helped us get our foot in the door where otherwise we probably would not have. He's really taken it and run with it and made some connections of his own. And he lives in the DFW area. So we get together a lot and he has some good connections. Yeah, he's actually brought some stuff to us to look at, not just me reaching out to people through you know, podcasts or, or different networks. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's cool. Like helping those guys, your buddies out, good thing. So now we're getting into the reasoning between why you're transitioning. As most things, like real estate goes up in price, you're paying down your mortgage and your return on equity goes down because your loan to values go down. Maybe you talk to me about the epiphany of kind of realizing this. And what was the option to talk to that part of the story? Yeah, as you can see there, my loan to values, let's just say 50, 60% on those things. And a lot of that's just trapped equity that I can't, it's hard to get a line of credit on, on uh, rental properties, at least with a few that I've had, it's, I have to really dig deep and uh, look for it. So I haven't had a ton of luck with that. So I've just had to do a full refinance on ones that make sense. But 
aside from having the trapped equity in there that I think I could better utilize in a syndication, get a better return with no headache, no liability, which is another thing that we've really thought about. It's nice to be able to refi these and pull out 50 or 60,000 every few years, but who knows when that may, maybe it goes the other way, or maybe I end up, you know, having a tenant slip and fall, who knows? So the idea is just that we're getting away from this. Yeah. The, the joke in the group is, can you tell me any good freaking reason why you want to own rental properties directly in the yeah. past? Like inefficiency of equity, return of equity here. Another thing that a lot of people will come to is they're trying to get the equity out, right? And they may still want to own the properties. So they look into these refinances. You're still talking about recourse debt. And another option that comes up is an all-at-one loan. I would say stay away from those generally. Is That's just what that's just what the lenders want you to do because mm-hmm. that's chiching in their pocket. But any other options you saw other than just getting out of rental property owners? You- yeah, no, I looked at those. I looked at a portfolio loan and a couple of the options didn't seem too bad. But you and I talked in the group about the issue of what, if I wanted to offload one property or within those that bundle, it would be a pain. And then also on some of the... Lead- yeah, so what Eric's talking about there is like when these lenders make a a loan with multiple properties, there'll be a caveat where like you can't, if you take one out to sell, you can't do that. You have to unravel the entire loan, which is incredibly impractical. I I just see a lot of, this is why you need to actually meet people because you see a lot of these like crappy Facebook groups that are free. And then you just see like these lenders just poaching people and just writing comments here, there. And there's no counter argument that I'm saying right now, or you don't get the real, the cons of any. See, people, unsophisticated investors just go into all these at one moment to portfolio and say, I don't realize this impracticality of this, this type of stuff. Yeah, that's exactly right. The portfolio thing seemed good on paper from a high level initial conversation. Several of the people I talked to, the points were high. So the fees to do it, the fees to unravel it. So basically the reason for this is I'm going to have forever manage these properties and over time, it may be makes sense, but I just think the liability part is something I don't want. I don't want the headache. The lifestyle isn't that great because I go out of town to work for work and I consistently find myself running by a property to look at something or do something. And it's just not a, not a lifestyle. Whereas if I sell them and let's say I can pull out a million and a half by selling them over the next year or two, I think yeah. that's a better use of the money for sure. You're not a bigger pocket bro anymore. You- you got kids and responsibilities now. Yeah, no more. I'm not cool doing burrs or anything right now. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the 1031 thing because I think you came, you recently came to this. You recently went through this. Kind of talk to us the whole like option of 1031. So that's all about. You can talk through it. Yeah. So we have a property just south of Austin that we used to live in. It's a nice townhome. The market's gone a little crazy here, and so we would be able to sell and probably pull up 200, 250 thousand or take it out of that. I walk away from it. And I started freaking out about the capital gains. So I 1031 immediately comes to came to my, my head and I was started thinking about it. But then I started thinking about what property am I going to buy? What am I going to do? Raw land, a small apartment complex that's overpriced right now and another headache in its own. I talked to some people in the group and they pointed out something I had, I didn't even know because up until last year or even this year, we didn't have any suspended losses to even deal with. Once I actually learned how that works and what would really happen based on their experience doing the same thing, it opened my eyes to not having to do a 1031 and be under the gun to find a property in 45 days, which good luck. And then yeah. if you, you think know, you can find a deal in 45 days, yeah. you're the sucker that you want to sell to. And every, going back to different podcasts or different stories, the seller knows when you're doing a 1031, so they have all the leverage right away. Yeah, it just 
after learning a little bit more about that, maybe I know you have some articles on why not to do a 1031. When I look those over, it just makes sense that if I'm going to go into syndications and I'm going to, and I have PALS built up, why would I roll it into another dumpy property and then be in the same boat? Yeah, that's really the game changer. So what Derek's talking about is, as you guys know, one of the reasons why we do real estate is we can deduct the price of the lack of the building improvement over 27 years with all these rentals. So that's cool, but it just takes freaking forever. But with syndications, if they do a cost segregation, you can deduct a third of the property improvement in the first year. This creates a boatload of cows, passive activity losses that you don't need to use. It just goes suspended. But those suspended passive losses can be used to when you finally sell these properties. This is what I did back in 2017 when I sold, I think, seven rentals that year. I had a capital gain. And you also got to include the depreciation cap recapture too. So you add those up. I had $200,000 of that that I had to pay taxes on it. But I had several hundred thousand dollars of passive activity losses that were suspended built up that I used to offset that, which ended paid in taxes and which negated any reason for 1031. Yeah. Do you know how much like, so you, was the 8285 form or something like that? Do you see how much calls you have? Uh, we haven't completed our 2020 return yet. So in 2020... Probably won't be. I take that back. We did quite a few. We bought a lot of properties in 2020 because some crazy deals are coming up, but a lot of them were remodeled. So we did have some losses and our income phases this out over the 25000 amount you can take each. Yeah, 100, 100 to $150,000, which is most right. people well, in our world. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the last you know, however many years I've been phased out of that. So just carrying this forward, but I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know in 2021, just based on the type of deals that were going in and the amount that we should be able to offset all of it. Yeah. So when you guys are looking to sell properties, you guys want to see how much passive activity losses you have suspended. This should be on the 8285 form. Don't, don't quote me on that. Something like that. Your CPA should have that. And unfortunately, sometimes the CPA doesn't give that to you because when they don't like to give it to you so that they know when you start asking for it, they know you're shopping around for a new CPA because there's a lot of you know back end calculations that come on that form. It's a complicated sheet, but basically the right question asks is how much suspended passive activity loss you have built up so you can offset your capital gains and depreciation recaptures when you sell. So what was your plan? Like, like you kind of know that you're not going to do 1031, but like you still, did you decide like I'm going to sell two off this year, three off this year? Like what was the rhythm or cadence to? Yeah, yeah, it's just the way the market is. And I was doing the math, just back of napkin kind of math. And realizing what the cash flow is on a couple of these properties that are in that higher uh, market value number, how many years it would take me to, to get to where I could if I just sold it on the return. And then if I can just put that money back to in various things, that it's just, it was just done to hang on to it and take, say, 200 bucks a month or whatever. Yeah. It made sense at the beginning, but as your loan to value went down as a property appreciated, you got more equity. Doesn't make sense after a while. Yeah, and every time I refinance one, there's five or 10,000 in fee. Which the lenders, they sweep it out of the rug with a higher interest rate to make it a no fee. But they're still paying for those friction costs. Yeah. So something that like you understand this pretty well and you're able to make a educated guess of this. But like you right now, the game plan is to do the passive activity losses through bonus depreciation costs at some point. Next 2022 will be the last year that you get 100% bonus depreciation. And then it starts to step down a little bit for the next four years, I think. Not to say that this is going to be open for a while. They could extend it 
they, I don't think that they will is my guess, or I don't know. I just don't think that like sweet deals like this are going to stay open firmer. That's just the way I look at life. So something for you to think about, right? Like you got to get it while the get is good. So are you saying maybe liquidate now while the market is also red hot in this area and people are overpaying for everything? You know, uh, try to roll it into deals? I'm not looking for like in terms of, yeah, it's a great time to sell right now. Seller's market. I don't, I try and personally, I don't really try and have that sway what I would. I look at it in terms of like tax, offsetting the tax. Right now, when you go into a syndication and doing a cost seg, you're getting a lot of depre- bonus depreciation right now. In 2022 and beyond, that's going to be going down a little bit. So you're going to get less passive activity losses from these things in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you need to keep that in the back of your head. What I would be doing if I want to sell these one, two, three, four, five, like 12 properties, what I would be doing would be trying to do half this year and then the next year and then yeah. maybe spill over. I wouldn't be assuming, oh, there's going to be two every year. No, because in two to three years, you're not going to get as much passive losses from new deals. Like I would yeah. try to front load it. And, and this is where it makes it hard, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if right. Congress is going to extend the bonus depreciation thing. We don't know if they might, I don't know, who knows? They might get better. And you'll be rewarded, but I don't know. Like this is where it's it's just good to talk with people and understand how things. It's a fluid situation. This thing isn't stagnant, and you have to make the best call today based on what unknown is in the future in terms of taxes. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's what makes it so hard. It's just not knowing, and I don't want to kick myself in the foot for selling too early, too late, whatever. But yeah, uh, but I think after a while, you know what Congress will do, what thing, what levers they do pull. Like another great example, you don't care about this. I don't care to care about this now, but like the state tax, I think it's low right now. I don't right. really know exactly what it is because I don't care. But like sometimes it floats to 20 plus million. Sometimes it's infinite. Like it, the buoy goes up and down for that just one thing. Same thing with this stuff. I'm assuming bonus depreciation is the same phenomenon. Happening. Yeah. No, I think you're right. It changes like what you're talking about and you get different administration and they're trying to appeal to different groups and do different things. Like the whole land conservation easement thing. It's a little bit difficult nowadays. There'll be something else. And as people are waiting to get full confidence of it, the window's closing on you already or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't looked at those, but I, I know some some of the people have some of the other people and it worked out pretty well for them. But personally, I haven't really dived into that. Yeah. Yeah, but what what else what else can we talk about here? Some these other sheets. The other sheets are pretty standard. This is just my personal tracker, and I added your summary because I liked it on the first page. This is just a tracker of things that we've gone in on. That is also yours. I actually don't do this. I don't know. I'm just, I don't. Yeah. it's kind of complicated. Yeah, it's it's on, honestly it's like a K one tracker and just seeing quickly how much are we in this year. I may want to change it up a little bit and maybe add some information like the K1 totals and different things like that. Yeah, this one looks like you have the, your your passive losses and your returns all in the same thing. I keep yeah. mine separate, but however you, you want to do it. Yeah, yeah, I need to uh, clean it up a little bit. Yeah, have a lot better than working with a Schedule E or running out the properties. Yeah, yeah, believe me. Yeah, because I have to do this and tax season comes up and I have to manage all that and fight taxes every year. It's a pain. but. Yeah, on the properties, I think it's just how to strategically offload those. That's if, the if if it were me, like me playing, you just I would unload half of them this year, and you're, you're going into deals, right? So you're picking up the passive losses where you don't outpay your sales, 
to getting passive losses, of course. I think that goes without saying. But I would really try and get rid of the other half in the next couple of years because at that point, your bonus, your, your getting is going to, your window is going to close and getting the passive losses. And then just to clean things up too, because it's a pain. I still have two rentals. It's not occupied, but it's just out there. It's just like such a pain. We were just on a vacation and I was dealing with things that either distracting me or causing me to have to send some emails or make a few phone calls every day because of this, not even work. Yeah. What else do you want? One of the things I had written down right now, I work, you know, as a project manager, it's mostly it's real estate development is what I do just for a different product. We build wind and solar projects. And I have some friends that work in real estate development and they, I enjoy real estate quite a bit. It's fun for me. It's engaging and you know, challenging and all that stuff. So my question is, if you had a desire down the road to be a GP in some of these deals, aside from just being a, a key principal or just bringing more money to the table, would it be advantageous to maybe switch careers, try to work for some of these developers? Yes, I may take a pay hit initially. I've seen some of the bonuses that these guys get every now and then. It's pretty crazy on maybe a new multifamily that sells. So do you, do you think it would be wise to have all my investments in real estate that I'm hopefully relying on in five to seven years to really start being able just to recycle and turn over, but also have my W-2 in that world if my goal is to move into that GP role in five to 10 years? Yeah. So it comes down to your goals. If an operator is good track record, like really what the hell do they need you for? What do you, and it comes down to the essence of what do you do for the general partnership? Well, you can either do several things. You can find the deal, which mm-hmm. that ain't going to happen. Talking to brokers, you're not going to write people yellow letters, find deals. <laughs> it just doesn't work. What the gurus say that want to sell you on $30,000 programs, it ain't going to happen. Could it happen? Perhaps. That's why these guys make their programs the way they are. So they go find a thousand suckers to run through brick walls. And one or two of those guys make it. Like, if it's possible, but here's where it's, I don't know if that'd be a good use of your time because you make pretty damn good salary as it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good industry to be in right now. Stay general. Signing on debt, being a key principal or putting money down on hard money. That's another option, right? But you'd really need a net worth of over 3 million to make more sense to do that. And you'll get there. You want to do that in the future. Signing your name on some loans could pick you up substantial money. You know, I mean, substantial money, you know, 30 to 100 grand possibly just for doing that. But it's all equity. The other things that gender, get you in a general partnership is are you doing work, right? So are you putting in sweat equity? And this possibly you might be able to do, but. Then he asked the question, if you're investing with a reputable operator, they should have all these systems and teams in place. What the heck do they need you for? Like the only people that want sweat equity from people are people who haven't got a track record together and you're coming out on the ground floor. And that kind of, maybe I, I put the question back at you. Are you coming, are you okay working with somebody who is in startup mode that could very well flounder? If, if that's the case, then you have a shot. But if you're working with somebody reputable, you don't need cooks in the kitchen, more cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And that that makes, that's a concern is you would have to start in at the bottom and either work your way up and then starting over, or you have to go to a risky startup that you're putting a lot of trust in. And, but let's just go with that. You're like, all right, I like doing this stuff. It is fun to me. I like this cowboy type of attitude. I want to see what I can do. Then it comes down to, all right, make sure you don't sign on debt for number one. Hey, don't put your whole family's estate on the line, but is it, then you look at your salary, right? Like what you're doing right now, is it that hard? Is it worth you making three, four times yeah. this 10 years no. down the road? I don't know. 
and then that and then I, as your family office guy, is gonna ask you, hey man, which we're gonna get you the four and a half million dollars, that kind of that epitome of the finish line, I guess. We're gonna get you there and by the time you're forty five, fifty, you want more. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I go into my current job and if I like it, I probably work 35, 40 hours a week. And then I have some weeks where it's more, some weeks where honestly, there's just not much going on. And I work from home, freedom to travel, work from vacation kind of things, cush job, to be honest. So it is hard to leave. Maybe the better play there is just roll with it and find ways to either increase my income in other ways, maybe different businesses that my wife and I, since she's really into that, starting those up and just keep rolling this money in, offload these assets. That'll free up, say, just say, I don't know, a million dollars and just keep going in on good deals with good operators and then look up in five or 10 years and be to that, that mark. Yeah. And get to that mark. And it's, you don't need to go find operators. You can just do like an IUL type of product and put it into incredibly like brain dead mode and cash flow. And I don't know, does that, the reason why you got here is not because you have that attitude that you want to coast, but like you can coast. And I, I know it goes against everything. Everybody's told you, you know, everybody's telling you you need to work harder, right? Good to the next pitch. Yeah. But like, I'm telling you, you're going to get to a point where it doesn't matter if you have four and a half million dollars or $10 million net worth. It doesn't matter. But yeah. I think yeah. that's where the fulfillment piece comes in. Like maybe you can start to, start to think about this. Like, what do you guys really want to do for the last 30 years, 40 years? Yeah. And whenever we, go out to dinner, my wife and I, and we were talking non-business, even though we somehow circumvent back to that, circle back to it. But yeah, exactly, of course. And we find ourselves thinking about what are we doing all this war? Why are we dealing with rentals and starting a business to try and make a little money kind of thing? And it comes back to, we don't need that 10 or $20 million net worth. At the end, we just, we don't want to have to worry about things. If we want to go to Europe for a couple of months and hang out, we can do that. And eventually our kids are going to get older and move out and they'll be fine. So what are we going to do with our net worth in 10 or 15 years? And I think the answer was just whatever we want. Right. Whatever fulfills us at that time. Some guys have a 503C kind of thing they want to do or whatever. And maybe that's down the road. But I think right now it's just the having options on the table and not being forced to like golden handcuffs and work for a W. And and this is all uncharted territory. Most people spend their whole life to get to one and a half million dollars. They get there and they're, they, it's game over already. They're already old. It sounds really morbid, but there really isn't a life after you reaching that, that number that you're looking for, which you're there already. So you better start thinking about it. Yeah. You hit on it earlier. Relax. Go enjoy yourself. Go buy that Ford Raptor you want. Or you yeah. Know. Which I did order. I did order that thing. Yeah. Oh, very cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, enjoy it a little bit. Or otherwise, what's it all worth? And or why do it? Why are we putting ourselves through such heartache and stress sometimes if we're not going to you know, cut out and enjoy fruits of your labor? Yeah. And, and you've got a couple kids. And from what I notice, not notice, but statistically, 90% of wealth leaves the family, right? In two to three generations. And it maybe it's because most times people are putting their pedal to the metal, 50, 60 years old, then they get to one and a half million dollars and they don't have time to teach the next generation. The next generation has already gone through the college educated system. They haven't taught how they build the wealth. You have an opportunity to actually teach the next generation because you have the bandwidth to do it. Yeah. And that's important to us. My wife, I mentioned she was a teacher and she realized after a few years in that system, after spending four years at school to go be a teacher, she was going to be working forever for $50,000 a year. It was crazy. And no matter how good she was or not, she just worked 
there was a lot of negativity with all the other teachers that she worked with about not liking their job. And the older ones were burned out, just trying to get to that 20 year retirement mark. And it was kind of sad, honestly. Yeah. I don't want our kids to think, go to school to be a teacher because my grandma was a teacher. Go to school to do something that, you know, you enjoy, but also you can utilize to build your own wealth. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's like a thing of like, they say you're never in balance. You're always out of balance. You're just focusing on different time things at different periods. You already buckled down in your 20s and 30s on getting this net worth thing. Maybe take a, a step back, a season in life where you focus on teaching the next generation, which you can always come back to this stuff. If you ever wanted to do that GP thing in the future or make some kind of more lifestyle business, right? something that's fun. I, and I think that's what I'm getting at. There's everybody, there's something that resonates with somebody that you want to do. Maybe you make a dog farm or something like that. <laughs> I don't know, or like a farm you know, yeah. honey yeah. company. I don't know. There's something that you like to do or like the wine tours or. Yeah, know. no, that's a pretty fun business. We get to go right off drinking wine all over the place. So it's not too bad. But yeah, there's definitely things out there that I would just enjoy. They just don't bring in the salary. But down the road, or not even down the road, but shortly, I've, we've talked about just selling some of these properties, take a little bit of money and just leaving my job because I can always go back and work in renewable energy and do what I do. I don't think I'll have a problem with that. She can run hers from anywhere because she has employees that kind of run it. She only works five or 10 hours a week and just take the kids when they're five, six years old and go spend six months overseas or whatever and just hang out with them and enjoy that time. Yeah. I think we'll be able to do it. Like you said, offloading some of these assets that we worked hard to acquire to low cost basis that we've gotten fortunate on appreciation and invest it wisely. Don't just put it in your bank account. Do you have any models that like have a net worth of four to 10 million? that have you feel like have gotten it because I don't and I think the people who are very visible are the people that are like those zero entrepreneurs that just keep going more but it's the quiet people that kind of gotten off the freeway yeah no like you said the ones that you see are the loud ones that are making all the headlines or, or whatever every now and then I'll run across somebody whether it's a landowner that I deal with on a project who 56 years old made a few smart moves when they were younger and I'm trying to catch them in between fishing trips or vacations and they're just enjoying life but the people we no, usually, the people we buy these apartments from they're typically in the 10 20 million dollar plus range and they're the one dying with the property on their you know the deathbed as they sign over the paper that what i've learned is i don't want to be in that position yeah it seems like a few of them whenever we're talking about who the sellers are it's a, a widow or widower and they're just offloading it and they and they work to manage it on their own painting walls or whatever they're doing for the last right. it, it's always the widow like the wife right back then and that's why my lesson learned is like at some point, stop investing in deals and just go completely passive like an IUL product because I, I i empathize like they're panicking right their husband who ran the whole business the real estate apartment is gone they're just confused they don't know what to do because they're rich but they can't get it out they don't know what to do yeah that's a scary thing yeah no yeah uh, aside from really getting in the weeds on financials and everything. It's We like podcasts that talk more about philosophical things and banking and books over kind of stoicism, things like that, because it kind of opens your eyes to there's more than just trying to just continually make money for whatever reason. You don't know why, but you're just trying to increase your bank account. So yeah, you don't want to be at the end of your life thinking about, I wish I'd gotten to 50 million instead of my 40 million. But that's where it's hard because since I've been 18, working all the time is the goal is to get there. And then when you start getting on this cruise control, like we were talking about it the other days, things are easy right now, honestly. We're rolling into apartment deals. And yes, none of them have gone full cycle yet, but I have faith in the people that we've given the money to that 
they will. And the jobs are going well. We go take vacations when we want to. So it's, things are going pretty smooth. It's nice. Yeah. Cool. Any, any other last authoring question you want to talk about or a good? No, I wrote some stuff down, but I think we covered it. Yeah. Just thinking about how to offload these properties and hopefully it might be a little bit of a headache for a couple of years, but planning ahead, like we talked about, and then hopefully I don't get in a situation where I have, I don't think there will be a lack of deals coming around. That's one of the thing, things that made me a little nervous is deal flow. But I think, I think there will be plenty of opportunities. They seem to come up once you start networking. And that's how I met you. I think I heard you on a podcast or, and then a couple others. And I just, you know, finally got to the point where I would email you guys and say, Hey, what's up? I'm interested in learning about what you do and going towards that passive side. And then honestly, everyone I reached out to the three or four people that we've invested with have all been really cool. And, you know, it wasn't just there's some imaginary person on a podcast kind of thing. Have you guys done the IPC stuff? banking yeah so i set mine up with uh guardian and i did a it's a fifty thousand policy and i already used i took a loan out against it shortly after and went on a deal and then i repaid it whenever we we had some money come in from something else so yeah it's it's set up and rolling and then i'm doing a heloc on my primary cool so what i would how long have you been doing that thus far yeah Yeah. four or five months okay 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 yeah maybe in the next year or two especially before you leave your day job Right, because that's what they're insuring. They're insuring your salary. We'll max out, max that thing out, try and get up to 200, $258,000 a year. So just open new policies, you mean? Yeah, layer them mm-hmm. on top of each other. You're still in the beginning, so you're getting used to what the heck 50000 is feels like per year. Same thing I did when I first started, but I would just go big with that. It'll be so nice to have like a million dollars if you yeah. get it. No, it's, it took me a little bit to wrap my head around. I've heard it on people talk about it. And I was dumb and not doing it earlier. <laughs> but yeah, now that I wrap my head around the simple interest part and the loan, it's super easy and it's pretty sweet. I'm looking at doing one for my wife, but one question, since she does not have a W-2, how do they qualify her income? Just federal tax? My wife's a teacher too. So that's a thing. You got to maybe talk about it offline. But okay. technically, it's supposed, to, like, it's supposed to be on like your salary, right? So you no know more salary, you cannot really do it. This is one of a common question we get from like these hackers or I was trying to optimize a situation is, oh, I'm going to get on my kids because they're younger and cost of insurance. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be cheaper, but you can't get jacked from it because they don't right. make any salary. And it's kind of like that whole, it's like a clickbait YouTube video. Oh, you can pay your kids. They can yeah. pay taxes. Well, you can only pay them like four grand. Who cares? Who right. cares if you save 20% of four grand? There's nothing. Yeah. But you got to look at the limits on that. There's different automating. But yeah, talk to your, talk to the IBC guy that we got and then but it gets yours first, right? And fill up yours to two fifty per year, then worry about your wife. But I don't know. I argue that maybe once you fill up yours, you don't even need one. Period. Yeah, yeah. I, so tell me the the logic behind that because I've expressed that to her that we didn't really need it for her because if something were to happen to her, you'd be fine. You'd be fine. You'd be okay. Other than the pure fact that if she passed away, you would need some have some money to drown your sorrow and tears, and you'll be fine. So I wouldn't. You don't really need that, in my opinion, unless you want that. That'd be the only reason why you'd want to put it on. Yeah, and that's what that was my thinking. If yeah. something happens to me, and if people listening right now think that's not right, you're missing the whole point of this infant banking thing. It's not for death payout. We're doing it for the liquidity part of this. Yeah, no, that's true. Just a yeah, not for that benefit. It's just a, a perk I use to sell it on. Yeah, whatever you got to do. But if that's yeah. if you want that death payout, if in case something happened to her, get term mm-hmm. life on her. 
And yeah. just to keep things so, to keep it simple, right? I have two policies for myself and I'm like, just two logins and it's like to have a third one. It's like kind of a pain. And, and if you did 250 for five, six years, you already have a million dollars of liquidity in there. Shoot, do you even need more, right? I think, and I talk about this bucket system, right? Like you've already filled up a few buckets. Now the next bucket is this infinite banking. Once you get like a million dollars in that thing, that's when we start to talk about the IUL type product. And I'm sure we'll talk in person about this. Other, We have other people going down this path too, but I haven't really figured out the feel for it. It depends on, again, what your goals are, right? If all you want is two and a half million dollars and then you want to put it in cruise control, cool with you. But we may have somebody in the group that they want $7 million network, then they go to cruise control. So two different, it depends what your goals and when you want to get off the freeway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've realized this like very early on that like my spouse does not care one bit about anything I do. One bit. It's just like me like wondering what the little baby should wear. I honestly don't care. So I empathize, right? What cream should we get? I don't care. I don't mean I care, but I don't, I'm not the person to ask. We delegate things. We're not like one of those families. Yeah, we're the same way. Yeah, we, she handles a lot of the stuff like that. And then I handle all the bills, finances, all that fun stuff. So I thought, hard and long about this and I was like if I died maybe I would have her talk to certain people like yourself and even if she did talk to you for an hour and talk to 20 other people that I trust but she's not gonna get she's not gonna get it that's not her thing she's not wired up like that so how do we set her up so she doesn't fail is the idea and to me there's no way that they're gonna be able to decide oh should I go 100 grand into this deal with this person it seems simple because we live and breathe it but for somebody coming in and cold it's very difficult and we have some people in the group they have no background in real estate investing they don't need to but they need to have at least the interests which is what makes them start to learn but if you have no interests then that's what the iul products are for yeah and that goes back to to rental properties what am i going to do with those when i'm 70 years old and have say say i got to a, say i never went down this passive role or path and i have 100 rentals and then something happens to me or i'm too old what if my kids have no interest in it they're just waste away and then uh, yeah yeah, that's the worst whereas what you're talking about she doesn't have to deal with that stress it's a a login to life policy whatever everything's taken care of i I think she she has an interest in real estate she likes seeing but she has no idea and whenever i tell her hey we're going to go in on this deal in alabama she's oh cool that's it you know that's all so she does probably like her she doesn't have an interest in it she just i want to make it easier for her and not set up something that's complicated to unravel and do down the road whenever either uh, something happens or we just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. But to get it to that point, you make less yield when you get it to that IUL point. So you have to squeeze it to get to that number yeah. to get there. But going back to the IBC, one cool thing I realized, I never realized whenever I hear people talk about this two hundred $250,000 policy, 100000 that you, know, you can pay that in arrears on your rider. You can catch up, which is, that was what really sold me on it after talking to the person who said, I don't yeah, because you you freak out, right? Because you're like, oh shoot, what if I can't make my two fifty? Yeah, but yeah, yeah some of them are yeah, you know. some of them are flexible than others. That's why, like lately, I like this guardian one because it's one year off. You can skip a year in a way. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I that's why at first I was like, I'm gonna do fifteen thousand, twenty thousand. That's safe. But then I was talking to some others in the group, and it wasn't like they were selling me on it. They just told me what they're doing and why, and it made a, a lot of sense. And it depends who you are, right? If you're just a salary guy, then it's one thing. But if you're a salary guy plus performance bonus or your business entrepreneur, then it's a different thing. 
for those people, I would say go with the bigger one because you're going to right size up into it. You set a goal, you're going to hit it. Yeah. Other than that, man, things are going good. IBCs, they're getting out of the mentality that I need to retire by accumulating 50 rental properties and dealing with C-class tenants all over the place, changing the mindset of going more towards lifestyle than just hustle. Yeah, we'll wrap it up here. If you guys like this and you guys want to do a free call, you got to put you on YouTube land podcast. I don't know, maybe you guys like that, but let me know. Uh, we're always looking for some folks because it seems like you guys like these types of things because there's always, you see the path based on net worth where people are on the journey. You know, this a step ahead of you. But yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Check out the website. We have all these guides. I think the one that would pertain to this would be simplepassivecashflow.com slash banking for the IPC stuff. And then simplepassivecashflow.com slash syndication for the syndication stuff. Well, guys, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks, Lane. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.